0: wish I break free, back to where I'm supposed to be,
1: I wish I break free, back to where I'm supposed to be. Welcome back to another episode. It's Michael. I'm here again with Chris and Kyle.
2: What's going on, boys? How are we doing tonight? How's it going?
0: <laughs> Hanging out. As Went usual. Up, how?
2: How awesome was that fiftieth live episode? That, Dude. Was, that was amazing, right? <laughs> Insanity.
1: So um, tonight, I'm really, I'm really excited about this one. Um, you know, I think our, res- our regular listeners know that I uh, grew up reading audio trade magazines, and uh, you know, so a lot of the a lot of the regular contributors for our Live Sound International and front of house. I mean, I, I always looked up to. The, to these people and, and followed their work, and our guest tonight is someone who has been reading his column for over a decade, and he's actually the first person I reached out to and sent an email to with a question about something I read in the magazine, and he wrote me back, and he was very nice, um, and and I, that that meant a lot to me. And so uh, uh, you you may not know him, but you absolutely know the artists that he works with, including James Taylor, Mariah Carey, Joe Walsh, Carol King, Cher, Bette Midler. Paul, Simon, Donald, Fagan, the list goes on. It's, it's really an incredible uh, incredible resume, and we're so happy to have him uh, with us tonight, Mr. David Morgan. David, Yay. thank you for being here, man.
3: Good <laughs> evening, gentlemen, I'm happy to be here.
1: Where are you joining us from? You're out on the West Coast, right? Thousand
3: Oaks, California.
1: There it is. How's California. the sunshine treating you? It's a beautiful
3: <laughs> late afternoon here in Thousand Oaks, California. It's a <laughs> Chamber of Commerce kind of day. Aww. So David,
1: you, you were you were telling me on the phone yesterday uh kind of how you got your start, you know, kind of in these in this club uh, you know, sort of mixing mixing the the band du Jour. I mean, can you can you kind of take us in the Wayback Machine there?
3: Sure I can. I I arrived in California in nineteen seventy six, uh still thinking I was a guitar player and singer. And uh somehow I ended up uh at a engineering school with a guy named Brian Inglesby, but he had a school called Soundmaster. And, uh, I, I went through that program pretty quickly because I'd, I'd had a demo studio in Woodstock, New York, previously to moving out to California. So, uh, I, I, somehow I was able to land a job in studios and, but what I found out immediately was number one, staff engineers don't get paid anything. And number two, staff engineers are expected to work like 80 hours a week. Uh, So uh, I devised a plan uh, from the Soundmaster experience. I had met a guy who had a local sound company, and he had an installation at a country and western club called the Palomino out in North Hollywood, California. And it was the only really big-time country and western venue there was in Southern California at the time, and this is mid-'70s. And... uh, He had just installed a sound system in there, and and the console he put in was this really fantastic 24-channel Yamaha PM1000. And so...
0: (laughs) <laughs> i love those things so long, big long with upside, upside
3: down jim jim gamble like upside down knobs and uh click it, it, rotary yeah exactly oh yeah oh yeah the whole the whole thing so two two of the sends were the for the the community you know uh fiberglass tub wedges that we had on the stage at the palomino and two of the and the other two mixes went you know left and right for the house so it was uh it was, it was it was a miracle to work on, on something like this. The, the best thing I'd worked on before that it, on a live situation had been, uh, you know, big green Al- Altecs with big rotary knobs. So uh, I would work out there for after work, finishing a 10, 12 hour day at the studio, I'd go out there and the first show wasn't until like nine o'clock. So I had time to get there and I'd do two shows and get paid 50 bucks and try to work as many as I could in, in a week. And so that was my real introduction to live mixing. And I fell in love from the first day, quite literally. I fell in love. Even if I had to hold a spotlight in my left hand and mix with my right hand, I was having the time of my life. So it's kind of like a movie, you know. Uh, and they, as a matter of fact, this is the club where they shot the uh, Clint Eastwood movies, Every Which Way But Loose and uh, Any Which Way You Can. So, yeah, yeah, right was- turn, Clyde. Yeah, it was definitely like a movie. So uh, so that was, I, I was lucky enough to have a gentleman from a, a large national sound company come in and hear me mixing. And he handed me a business card. He was working for one of the bands that came in to, 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 to play that night at the PAL. And he handed me a business card and said, go see my boss. And so I did, and I got hired, and uh, I left the studios. And went on the road, and that's it's
2: been that way ever since 1978. how How long were you a company guy before maybe before going freelance?
3: Well, I went to work at A1, and A1 hired everybody as a freelancer. Uh, uh, Al Siniscal at the time did didn't didn't hire anyone, and I I was there about three years. Uh, First as. Uh, a sound company guy out on the doobie brothers tour. I went out on uh minute by minute. And before that I'd done the uh, living on the fault line tour as the uh, system engineer, you'd call it now. And back then it was just, you know, I'm the house guy, you know,
1: <laughs>
3: uh, I'm the guy who takes, takes, takes care of the other guys. So uh, I, I, I had to learn really quickly and I had to make a lot of it up as I went along. Cause I didn't know anything about live audio at all. I did know about, you know, small PA systems. When, when I was playing in bands, I was the guy who owned the van, owned the PA, owned half the band instruments, hired the musicians, booked the gigs, paid the guys. You know, I I was that guy. And so I I had a, a basic uh, idea of what it was like to do shows on the road, but nothing like when I went out on the Doobie Brothers, when, when, especially on Minute by Minute, when they were one of the probably five biggest bands in the world at the time
2: so trial by fire and it was good it was so much fun i love that band so with your you know your 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 laundry list of names right and 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 getting into there what was there was there was there a point where you know coming out of that club scene uh getting into more of the national touring level um when, when did it like you know hit you of for lack of better terms i've I've made it. I don't like using that term I've made it, but like like, hey, like I'm doing this thing like at like a pro level. Like, was there a moment where you were like, you know, oh shit, like this, this is real. This this is what I've been dreaming oh, of. Yeah. Or what, what was and was it is there a specific moment you remember, or was it just oh, like yeah. a, a gradual thing?
3: Oh, I'll never forget it. Uh we were on there's a Doobie Brothers video from nineteen seventy nine that was shot at Alpine Valley in Wisconsin. And uh it was it was going live to air on FM radio as well. So Gray Ingram, who was my mentor at the time, who was the front of, front of house engineer, had to go into the truck. And that meant me and Bob Hodes were, were going to mix the show together. Back then, the Doobie Brothers had a pair of uh, API 24-channel consoles that had been modified to be used as live desks. And Bob had uh, his 24-channel console, and he did drums and percussion. And I, the other 24 channel console did all the instruments and all the vocals. So I, I, I was pressed into mixing the, the, the instruments and vocals and the show absolutely kicked ass. And at the end of that, I said, I can do this.
1: (laughs) Nice. That's
3: awesome. Yeah. I I, I, was like, the light went on, you know, (laughs) I can do this.
1: That's so cool, David. I mean, looking back on the career you've had, you know, I think one of the things that I really admire about you is um, you're definitely not stuck in your ways. I mean, that the industry, the the technology has progressed so much since you started. Um, I mean, when you look back and think about what you were using then in terms of gear and pas and consoles, and and what you're using now, I mean, um, you seem like you really enjoy checking out the newest stuff, you know, and kind of getting your hands on these new tools. I mean, is that, is that something that um, is kind of keeping your interest as the years go on?
3: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the way I I reinvigorate or re-energize my career all the time is by teaching myself new technology. And when I came into the business, everything was completely analog. There were no, uh, uh, Digital effects, other than Eventide, had had just come out with a, a, the the nine ten, you know, which was astounding. We had uh, a prime time from Lexicon. Uh, we had the uh, Eventide delay lines, but you know that was about as sophisticated as life got. Uh, I remember on the Doobie Brothers, we used to fly on a spring these old mic Mix spring reverbs. And we we we'd fly them up. We'd actually put put, put a uh, you know a point up. Uh, they'd have to rig a point for these two two reverbs every day, and so I mean that's that that's the technology we we're at. You know that was a step beyond the mic mix was a step above the BX ten BX twenty, you know, uh, and so, but in evolving my relationship with the gear, I've I've been lucky because uh, I was starting my career just as digital uh was making its initial invasion into the live audio world so i've got i've had the luxury of being able to absorb it in very small increments and incorporate it into my setup so i th- you know by accident of birth you know i'm 70 years old and proud of it but i i was just literally born at the right time to borrow a song title from my friend paul simon uh it, that i could incorporate each one of the n- next advancements into my mixing, uh, world, uh, on, on an incremental basis. And, and that way I was, I, 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 became, uh, more intimately familiar with, with, with pieces of gear because
2: there were so few of them, you know? Mm. Yeah. So so, hold on, before we uh, we need to not miss something here. Before we go forward to more technology,
0: his his friend Paul Simon too. By the way, (laughs) just saying.
2: Oh, you know, you know Paul, Paul, you know Paul Simon, my buddy. So so hold on, we uh, all right. I want to go back to the spring reverb for a second. Oh, the mic makes yeah. All right, so how? First off, how 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 big was this thing? Like physically, Uh, it was in a wooden
3: box, and it was about. Five feet high by about, I'd say it was probably 60 inches by eight inches by 12 inches,
2: the, the wooden box. That's crazy. And so, in, and the reason for flying it was just to get the, you so know, nobody so would no bump vi- it. Right. Nobody bump it. No vibrations. Right. Yeah. All right, yep. that's freaking amazing! Uh, oh, so- <laughs> hey, creative solutions to 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 you know in, insoluble problems. So hey, um, uh, hey, hey, Rigger, I need to fly out my reverb. What, what, well, I mean, <laughs> like who who else who's going to listen to this podcast can say, oh, by the way, hey, Rigger, I got to fly my reverb today. Like, come on.
1: Oh, that's great, uh, David. Uh, you know, you wrote about. Um, working on james taylor's guitar sound in and you wrote about that in your column you 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 set up an sd5 i think in your house right and uh <laughs> and you uh listen to um uh, playing your own guitar through DI. you're working on on getting the uh the piezo to sound like like an acoustic guitar i mean matching those tones like take us through that project I, I i don't remember all the details but i remember that you spent hours and hours trying to get that you know james has a very recognizable guitar tone and um you, you really worked on dialing that in and I, I just remember thinking that was the coolest thing so can you talk about that a little bit
3: well it, you know i've been with james for quite a while now and this uh project that you're talking about i think happened in like 2016 it was when when we were off over a winter in 2000 I, I think in 2016 or 15 Anyway, uh, when I first started with James, uh, he had just gone to a music store out, out in Western Massachusetts where he lives and purchased this black box device from Fishman called an Aura. And uh, the Aura, uh, we ended up having Fishman do uh, models uh of all of james's guitars we were so sold on the aura process i i I went to rehearsals that year about a week before the other guys got there and james and i just sat in the in, in his barn where he has a little recording studio set up in the barn and we just listened to aura samples right uh images they call them right and they had uh they had no images built for you know James Taylor's $30,000 custom Olsen guitars. Yeah, they have but they did have like OM1s and things like that or Larrivis and or, or uh some nice high-end guitars. So we tried we we tried uh the the loading various images and and seeing if the process actually worked. If we noticed any ac- uh, real acoustic effect or even a psychoacoustic effect. Did we feel like it sounded more natural? Uh and I'll I'll be damned if it if it didn't work. And so we got on the phone with, with all the guys at Fishman, everybody came out to see us. And, uh, uh, cause Fishman is also in Massachusetts where James lives. And, uh, we ended up getting all the guitars taken back to the, uh, the Fishman shop and they got shot and we had our own custom images made. And then the next year, uh, I, my friend, uh, Peter Janis up at, up at Radial, Came out with this product called a Tone Bone uh, mm-hmm. uh, PZ pre, and it's a, a a preamp for a piezoelectric pickup, and it actually matches the impedance characteristics of the of, of the pickup that tends to rise over frequency, and so it was the first time I ever plugged a, 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 a acoustic guitar into a preamp and just listened to it with no EQ on the console and actually said, this sounds pretty darn good already. Mm. So, uh, that's what we ended up using for years. Uh, we, 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 I take both outputs. I take the radial output and I take the, Aura output, I mix them together. I have to delay the, uh, the rate radial output to the aura. Cause there's a latency of a little less than three milliseconds in that. So, uh, I, I've always used a, uh, uh Either a, uh, a, a TC Electronic M three thousand on using their their uh, their their Droid programs, you know their their EMT two hundred and fifty stuff, uh, and that would, was always the reverb, and just a straight uh, one in two out delay spread wide. Uh, and that that was our whole guitar sound for a long time. And, uh, so we have different aura settings for each of the five acoustic guitars that James plays during the show. JP, every time he does a guitar change, he reaches down and he he changes the program on the aura. It's a a well-oiled machine. Uh, it was great, Uh, but after a while you, you, you want to try to expand and, and that's what we did, you know? So I, I, I tried adding, uh a little bit of space around a piezo electric pickup that's sitting in a block of wood you know and what what's missing from that block from the piezo pickup in the block of wood the box right so so i built a box and and then i tried to emulate what 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 a sound hat what happens to sound inside the box and i'll be damned if it didn't work (laughs) (laughs) whoops (laughs) <laughs> that's great yeah you know i've i've i found a chamber program that i liked you know the the characteristics of it and then it shrunk it right yeah and it shrunk everything it was like uh honey i shrunk the kids i was just bringing every six tap delay and every, every delay is less than two milliseconds you know i mean it's just <laughs> uh it, it's 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 just playing around and it, uh, the more I played, and I did have the luxury of having a console nearby. It wasn't in my living room this time. It was just down the hill at, at, at Delicate. I have a wonderful relationship with Brian Bazilsky down at Delicate, and and and, and smoother. Uh, they 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 let me come down, and and when. Space is available and equipment is available. They, they've always accommodated me coming down and, and and you know trying to air out my harebrained ideas here or or, or upgrade co- show files and things like that. They've been an exceptionally wonderful resource in in, in, in as a as a, a a helper in my career. I mean, the, the guys at Delegate are just fantastic. Got the men and women down there are terrific people.
1: I think we have we were talking about this a little bit, you and I yesterday, David. um there's sort of a we have a little kinship thing going on here, and it's like Kevin Bacon only it's James Taylor because um <laughs> i I studied with James's brother Livingston at, at Berkeley uh I consider him a good friend, and both Kyle and Chris worked on James Taylor shows, so we've we've sort of all kind of been involved, which is which is cool it's um, it's
3: a wonderful family to be touched by. Uh, they're just all the brothers and sisters in that family are just unique and wonderful individuals. And as I said, James Taylor might be the nicest man in show business.
0: So, I, I, I concur. I mean, just from one day of doing an event with him outside with him and his wife in the small band. Amazing. Like, what a cool guy. He talked to everybody who was there, you know? It, it Oppo- was... Opposite
2: of Kyle. Opposite of Kyle.
0: <laughs> I was just being grumpy. I was like, who is this guy? He's a bag of bones. did so he you, got? Did you, oh, you honestly, you, was, didn't you didn't know grandpa? who
1: James Taylor was at no, the show? No, I'm
0: totally kidding, bro. Okay, I, go- just I, Googled, it. I Googled it right after he told me who I was mixing.
3: <laughs> 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 yeah. You, you the the blank stares i get when I, I i i still play hockey at 70 years old and there's awesome. a there's an ice rink nearby here over in Simi valley it's about you know 15 minute drive from my house and i'll go over there and i'll be talking to the kids and uh, you know uh under 30s and uh they ask me what i do and i say well i'm james taylor's front of house engineer and they <laughs> Total, total deer in the headlights. Nothing
0: there. Not, no, 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 glimmer of recognition. So, the, the first thing that popped in my mind when they said James Taylor was Apple Records. Um, great record. So, so I didn't have to Google that. I knew it was, oh, the, <laughs> the, the Beatles had something to do with it. And then I did Google and Wiki, Wikipedia it, but he's written songs for a ton of people too. Right. Am James? I wrong? Yeah.
3: No, James, 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 James is uh, not covered all that much, as surprising as it is. Uh, it, it's, his songs are so perfectly attuned to his guitar playing and his singing style that it's really hard to do a, 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 a an honest cover of a James Taylor song. And a lot of people shy away from it just for that reason, because, you know, the guy writes perfect songs. You know, can you improve on Fire and Rain? No. Uh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> can you got improve it. on on Caroline in My Mind? You know, shower the people you love with love. You know, I mean, what an incredibly gifted man. It's 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 not about being. You know, it's not about never been about quantity with James, uh, though he's written hundreds of songs over his. Well,
1: I was going to say. I mean, it's it's just hit after hit after. I mean, he's got an enormous discography and just an incredible body of work. I mean, it's any any one of those songs, and you know someone will be you know respected as an incredible songwriter, but he's written just a, an astounding list of of amazing music it's really it's really crazy i
3: I don't think I could have been luckier or more blessed as a front of house engineer to have spent than to have spent twenty one years mixing Paul Simon and now sixteen years mixing james taylor uh those two guys to me are the epitome of American songwriting
0: for sure and Hands
2: down. uh it was and, and talk and, and talk about like you know so i mean we we always talk about that like you know uh if you know sh- you know um you can't polish a turd right so shit in shit out right but yet you have the epitome of you have the best the best some of the best musicians in this country like that has to make your job i mean i'm not saying job is easy but it has to make your job easier than maybe say others in terms of like, in theory, you push those faders up and like you don't probably have to do much to them because of how good the musicians are on the other end. And maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> uh,
3: yes and no. I mean, in terms of me having to embellish, I'm, I never have to embellish. I, I've, I've worked with Steve Gadd for nearly 35 years now.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
3: Uh, I, I, I do have to. Uh, I, I it still takes a lot of work. Uh, the particular way in which I try to uh, involve a listener in a live show takes a lot of work, and but I I also tell people that the secret of my success is choosing the best bands to work for you know? <laughs> because you know they make yeah. these guys really make me look good you know right, there was right. there was there was 11 12 years in there with with donald fagan and steely dan too you know right so uh and and Bette midler's band for 17 years were no slouches either so yeah
0: i, I definitely have i definitely have fanboy questions coming too i always have <laughs> fanboy questions because holy cow steely dan what do you use to check the PA with if you don't <laughs> use the great game?
3: Well, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I do know the first time that I remember hearing someone use that Nightfly record to EQ a PA was when uh, years ago there was a venue here in LA called the Universal Amphitheater. It was an outdoor venue. Uh, we did one of the last shows in there in 79 with the Doobie Brothers. We were there for a week, actually. Uh, and the, over the years, the neighborhood complaints had just been so over the top about noise coming out of this amphitheater in Universal City, California, uh, that they closed it, built a enclosed structure that, for years, was just called uh, still Universal Amphitheater, and then was called Gibson Amphitheater before Gibson. it was closed. Yeah. Yep. I've been
0: at that joint.
3: The very it, does, it, first, does, it doesn't
2: exist anymore. Actually, they they knocked it down. But anyway, yeah. The the, the
3: initial installation in there was done by Stan Miller, mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful man, and he put in a Yamaha PA in there, and the very first thing that was played over that PA was Night Flight. Nightfly had just come out and we were down at schubert systems uh dirk schubert and i were 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 business partners we we uh we ran schubert systems together for uh, about five years uh, from eighty one through eighty six for me and uh so that's the first time I remember anyone anyone using that, and it might have might have been the first time ever anyone used that because it was it, it was it was that new. But down at the shop and the, before we had gone up to there because Toto was uh, we were the sound company for Toto, and Toto was playing the uh, grand opening of Universal. Oh, man, I love and, Toto. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they they were, they were fun too. I did I didn't ever get to mix them. Uh, uh, they, uh Clive Franks and Shep Lonsdale did that uh they it was uh that was that that was a wonderful band and those two those guys were great guys too I mean they, and- they cover weezer
2: songs right Toto right anyway
3: that 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 leads into the question of what do I play and that's that's a whole thing I I have a uh very very uh, well chosen, at least in terms of my ears, uh, sequence of songs that I play, and of course at every Steely Dan show, if I if if eight or nine stagehands didn't come up to me and ask me before the PA was up if I was going to play Steely Dan, I'd be disappointed. <laughs> there you <laughs> go, because I had all sorts of lines worked out for that. You know, I I, I could be sarcastic, I could be you know. I could play dumb. I could do all sorts of stuff. You know, I could, I, there are all sorts of characters I could be to, to answer that question.
0: We need to hang out. You're my kind of dude. <laughs> I, I
1: so, mean, David, uh, I've just, <laughs> I, I want to talk about your system tuning process. Cause it's really unique. And you just you did an article about that not too long ago, but, but I mean also Fleetwood Mac, right? I mean, dude, how, how cool is that gig?
3: Oh God, that was, that was heaven. That was for, uh, I had uh, flirted with that gig for years. Uh, I was originally contacted in 1997 to do the dance. That didn't work out. I had conflicting things going on there, uh, and I had to I had to say no. It broke my heart. Uh, Stevie Nicks broke mine. <laughs> easy, <laughs> easy, and and I've You've known died. Stevie since 1978. Uh, I had a brief foray of doing monitors and I, I was absolutely terrible at it. I'm the first one to tell you, uh, and, uh, doing monitors for Bob Walsh and Stevie came and was, uh, sat in with us a couple of times and, oh God, she was, this is 1978. (laughs) She was that girl back then, you know, she Ripping was like on fire. Oh like, my god, she was so gorgeous. And so it was uh, you know, it's it it's, it's been a long time association. I've known Wadi since the 70s. I've uh, it, it it's it seemed like it was destined to happen at some time. They talked to me in 2003 about doing it, but then Simon and Garfunkel were going out, so I couldn't do it then. Uh, they talked to me again in 2009. Bet Midler wouldn't let me leave Las Vegas,
2: and I had to, I had to give it up. Man, uh, all these sob I, stories. Just saying. All yeah, these this, yeah. Sorry,
1: I can't. I can't make it. I gotta go. <laughs> I well, gotta go mix Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> this is.
3: I I had wanted to mix Fleetwood Mac my entire career. When I first went to work for A One, they were uh, located on the Columbia Pictures lot, and at Sunset and Gower in in Hollywood, and right around the corner was Penguin Management, which was. Fleetwood Mac's management company. Uh C Factor Lighting was there, and Tasco Sound was there as well. And so uh I I had been around the the Fleetwood Mac family uh since my my first introduction to to, to big time live sound. And I always wanted to do that job. I thought Richard Dashett did the most amazing job mixing those guys in the 70s. I, uh uh, and then, and then Bruce Jackson got the gig and there was no way I was going to get it once Bruce Jackson got it. So, uh, I just resolved, I resigned myself to, 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 accepting that I was never going to get to mix uh, Fleetwood Mac until Marty Helm called me and I said, uh, damn right. I want to do that gig. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, do I want to do that gig? And now uh, actually it wasn't quite that accidental. I had mixed for Stevie in 06, 07 and 08. And I had a wonderful time mixing tours for her. And she's just the most wonderful lady. And I have just incredible respect for her. I love those songs and that band. You know, Wadi has put together just a kick ass band. And once again, it's all old friends. Uh, Carlos Rios and I worked together in Lionel Richie's band for years. Uh, Oh, man.
1: Uh, i i I thought of you david because i mixed i I think i emailed you about a couple about a month ago i mixed a uh a fleetwood tribute band and i had a lot of fun they were pretty good so i I, I was i was i was channeling you man
3: well i mean that it was it was a dream gig and uh i was really happy for our our crew that 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 we got nominated for a tech award I, i was very pleased personally to have uh to have been given the uh, Parnelli Award this past year for that for mixing that I I had an absolute ball, uh,
1: and I think we'll just say for the listeners you've you've been nominated for the Parnelli four times and one two three four five six seven eight nine ten tech award nominations eleven just fantastic 11. <laughs> 11.
3: <laughs> but who's counting who's counting <laughs> yeah the the, the the one nomination that's missing was the year I won. Right, so oh really? That, that, <laughs> so yeah, I've won tech, I've won Parnelli. I, I, I think I've been nominated for six Parnelli's by now. Uh, uh, the CV has, hasn't been updated in the last five years. Well,
1: congratulations, so. man. That's that's awesome. That's that just is so cool. Well, it, I got like re-
0: soccer trophies. That's about it. <laughs>
3: it. It's it's really nice, and in in for but for both of these awards, that this really is. You know, it sounds like a cliche, but it it really is the nomination is 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 the award itself uh you 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 can't control who, who who's going to vote for who on uh, uh, as as a final but it's your peers who are nominating you and so that uh that that to me is really special uh and so you know i've been asked to be on the nominating committee and things like that and i say you know as long as i my work is 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 still being considered for nominations i don't feel i should be on a panel uh, so I'm just lucky that, that doing a, a tour that I started at 69 years old and finished at 70, uh, that, that people, uh, responded favorably to it. And, uh, I'm, I'm immensely flattered and immensely grateful to, to Mick and John to, for bringing me onto that, that, that gig. I had an
0: absolute ball. Amazing
3: That's
1: so cool, Yeah
0: amazing
3: you
1: got it you got a fanboy question before we move on to the nerdy stuff Kyle come yeah on, I, got, I, got, <laughs> I got one
0: fanboy question and I was looking through your cv and Whitney Houston come on David tell me about like <laughs> what one what vocal mic were you using on her and two was she just like in control was she just the like kind of it had to be like I don't even. I can't even imagine. Like I can't even imagine. I've mixed Bobby Brown and some other stuff on on the side, but like Whitney Houston, that's pretty insane. And Uh, I know I know her drummer too, and he's uh, incredible. Or I knew her drummer when she had one. Sorry, rest in peace.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Back then, uh, I I went to work for her in 1986 on her on her first headlining tour. And, uh, my friend Al Tucker ha- had started the tour and, and God rest his soul. He, he just passed as well. Uh, and, and for reasons out of his control, uh, he had to leave the tour and, and I, I was fortunate enough to be available at the time. And I answered the call and, 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 and went and did the actual tour, uh, she was the best singer I've ever heard in my life. She was twenty three years old.
0: Yes, that's what I want to hear. Give it to she me. She
3: was. She was. <laughs> uh, a, 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 aside from being, you know, stunningly beautiful, she was just had the most vocal control of any artist I had ever worked with in my life and will ever work with in my life. Uh, and uh, so I got to do those first three tours, and it was absolute heaven uh, musically. Uh, it was, uh, you know, basically turn her up and let her go, but, uh, the arrangements were fantastic. We had a musical director named John Simmons, who's also passed away. Uh, it was just a wonderful man. Uh, he was also Denise Williams, a musical director and had been on the whiz on Broadway and John put together these just astounding arrangements of, of, of the Clive, Clive Davis records. and uh was a brilliant man to work with. He and I were, became very close friends and uh, he, uh, he, he was uh, as much of a reason I stayed as, as, as Whitney was. And so I did those first three tours and then she took the time off to do uh, the bodyguard. And then when uh, the band came back to work in the nineties, cause she took, it had taken a long time off cause then she married Bobby and stuff. And, a whole different band. The only the only person who was still in the band was Ricky Minor, bass player.
0: He became the musical director when John passed. So, um, right after that, did you do the Summer Olympics when she did one moment in time? The the I think it was like 1988. So it might have been right after the tour. But I I remember she also did a thing for uh, Nelson Mandela in London. I think at Wembley. Yeah,
3: yeah uh, at Wembley. Yeah, yeah yeah
0: insane that's when it, it was kind of like it reminds me of the whole stevie nicks thing one beautiful two like voice for days uh do you remember what mic you were using on on the tours that you were out with
3: 887
0: 887
3: and then eighty seven c when it came out
0: incredible yeah, your your list of artist rosters, there's a few in there that I could pick out and just like have fanboy moments, but Michael, you <laughs> just let me have one. And well, then to write that <laughs> to the nerd stuff. Tell, tell them how you think this PA, bro. Well,
1: will we'll, we'll uh, you know, we'll, we'll let you throw another one out at the end there. Chris, go ahead, man.
2: No, no. So, uh I, I have a question to set up the, the the next question. So, with James, um where did you start off with him on digital or did you start off with him on analog? PM five thousand,
3: DM two
2: thousand. Okay, um, all right. Well, that actually helps my <laughs> helps where I want to go. With this <laughs> so um, this is maybe a, a loaded question, right? But so you know, the, we kind of talked about the guitar thing a little bit, right? So when you think James Taylor, you think you think vocal and guitar, vocal and acoustic guitar, right? Like it's just the two things that like stick out. Um, and so from a vocal standpoint, I'm curious. Um, like single chain wise, what were you doing analog wise? And then once you switch to digital, what were you doing? Um, this is going to be like a threefold question. So that that's kind of one thing. Um, uh, how, much, um, how much of what you did, uh, did James have voice in or say in, or maybe, hey, do this, do this differently, because maybe he didn't like what you're doing. And then thirdly, did you ever find yourself in a spot uh, of like, especially more in the digital world of like, you tried to do something in the in the vocal chain of like you just dug yourself like hey all right screw all this scrap it start back at square one and and, and get back to a place I know, I know there was a lot there but just you know what what, Holy what cow what, I'm, <laughs> I'm confused <laughs> what was right, the one again vocal vo, <laughs> vo, vocal chain of uh, you know from back in the analog days and then into digital days with with james where did uh, how did that go for you when I went to work
3: for James, uh he had been singing into uh an AKG uh what was it five hundred back then? Five thirty-five. Uh and five thirty-fives are really kind of hostile to uh monitors and uh because they tend to go omni above 5k and bo- and below 500 you know they are great sounding mics you know it's the s- same capsule that that, that that sturdy old CK capsule you know uh, but uh, I felt that uh, a mic that had just come out that I'd had a lot to do with and, and, and I'd used it on the road all- previously so I had a lot of confidence in it uh, was Shores ksm 9 I did a lot of beta testing on that. For, and, I remember and you writing
1: about that. Yeah, you were alluding to it. <laughs> yeah, and
3: so uh, we we tried him on a KSM nine right away, and he he loved it. He 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 didn't question the change at all. So no, he hasn't been really uh, involved in uh, all the, the the changes I've made to the input list uh, when I first came on board, and. Uh, but he is uh he's incredibly aware of what's going on he sees everything uh and he he will comment on things but uh if i ever ask him if he wants me to change it it's 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 not that he's just saying you know i noticed this and it it it, it seems to work really well and so uh we s- ha- seem to share a consciousness of what his music is about and 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 how to get there in the best uh and most efficient way possible his signal chain's always been really easy either a real tube compressor or or, or emulation of a tube compressor it's it's there's, there's a <coughs> excuse me there's not an awful lot to it uh it's you know uh my own personal way of 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 carving up a microphone's equalization section uh and and having a reliable compressor i used to use tube techs you know uh as live vocals uh i used to use summits on his guitars and that that evolved into you know using like a uh some sort of a a, a neve emulation on his vocal to a, uh to a a uh la 2a emulation on his guitars you know mm it's 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 stayed pretty simple you know it, it there there are things that that work and you, if they work you don't fix them you know uh simpler is better i mean occam's razor always works res- pretty well for me you know mm-hmm.
1: so are you you're running mostly on board processing in your desk you're not carrying a ton of outboard with you now
3: uh i don't have any outboard other than a tc6000 because i love those programs and uh a bricasty uh, because I couldn't get what I wanted to out of Waves IR Live, uh, there's just not enough parameter control on it, and so I've been carrying the the 6000 and the, and the percassi. So th- that's my huge outboard rack. What, uh, <laughs> four, four, uh, uh, four spaces is that what it is? It might be four rack spaces, yeah, and uh, I run it through a uh, uh. A little sixteen uh, banger, uh, you know, a mini, uh, a, a digi rack mini, you know, an SD rack mini, hmm. and it's, uh, uh, it it, uh, it's the best of, of processing worlds for me to 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 stay within the latency of the. Uh, the, the the servers, which is very very low, the, the the extreme server is down under a millisecond now for for, for a, a full pathway, and you know waves lives, but the latency is negligible on those. Uh, so, uh, it's, I you know in 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 certain areas, like if I use a certain compressor on the kick drum, I will probably use that same compressor on the bass guitar just so they line up in time. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't uh, go through my entire console and line up. Uh, each individual input. I do line up groups that share frequencies. You know, like I, I, I do all all the timing on piano mics because I when I do a live piano, I use four different transducers. So uh, first of all, I have to delay them to to to. The, uh, there's a pickup that's one of the four transducers, so I have to delay all the microphones that there's three other microphones in the piano, and so I have to delay them to the Barcus Berry 4000 that's in there, oh. right? And you know, so I do. I, I do delay compensate, but I delay compensate within groups. Uh, the only place where I actually do delay compensation on 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 the actual channels is when you make a a, a compression group. Right? If you know, if you if if uh, you want to have a uh, a heavily compressed group added to your toms, uh, then then you then you do have to delay if you, if you want those two to line up because you've taken another path. And that takes what fourteen samples or something like that. So you <laughs> know, I mean, it's it. it th- that's what you're lining up. So I have to line up my, my. my uh, uh, you know, I have to put a del- a little delay on on one of the uh, on, on the dry group. So so you have to put all of your toms into a dry group, and then all, all, your compressed toms into another group, and you
2: del- and and you delay the other one. You know, and are you've are you create another are path. You, are, you me- are you measuring that delay, or is it pure pure ear? Ear, okay. Yeah. Well,
1: there you go. There yeah. you have it.
3: Yeah. I do everything here. Uh I'm Well, well I'm,
1: so let's this is a good a good segue then. I mean, you did an article that I loved about your process for tuning your PA system and you're on Claire uh recently, right? Um Yeah. How do you how do you can you just walk us through that?
3: Well, uh as I said, I have I have a, a list of songs uh a playlist that I created years ago that that each uh song gives me very, very uh distinct information about certain frequency bands with, with, within a room, right? Uh how the PA and the room react at certain frequency bands. And so for for example, the first song is End of the Innocence. End of the Innocence has 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 a bass guitar part that's that's pretty boomy. It it, it sounds like it's a reverse-gated bass that's so it's supposed to rise in in, in volume as, as as a note uh, sustains, right? And so that for me is particularly interesting uh, to to use that track in order to isolate 60 cyclish stuff, you know, which is uh, every large hockey arena has has problems below 100, right? We can all agree to that, right? <laughs> uh, and so that's what the end of the innocence does. Okay, there's also it's pretty pretty uh, the. Uh, in, in the second area that I find is that's it, really problematic in in most large venue systems is around is 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 that two to three k area you know the the, the stuff that's going to rip your head off if 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 they got too much of that in your vocals and so there's a very distinct part of that sound of that of the song end of the innocence accents that two point five three three five area and uh, it, especially uh uh the, the the piano track right so it's uh it's instructive for me to have that be the first song and you know it, you you don't want to play a song that's a perfect recording first you know there's no point in doing that uh first of all you can't hear the perfection on the recording in an une- uh, you know an, uh, an untuned room And second of all, you're setting a a standard for yourself that you're going to really have to try to scramble to get there Uh, instead of having a a well-planned route that will get you there if you follow all the steps correctly, right? So uh, the next song is another song from that same end of the Innocence record, The Last Worthless Evening. And Last Worthless Evening has this really tight, relationship between the bass guitar and the kick drum and it's real it's 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 uh it's not heavily low endy and it, it gives me a good idea if I've taken too much out right so one thing tells me one thing the first song tells me one thing the second tongue tells me another did I did I turn down the low end too much you know am I over equalizing uh did I lose the kick drum or did I lose the bass guitar in, in this song and it also has a much more mellow song to Don's voice, and I can check myself again. Did I take out too much 3K-ish, or did I did or or, or is it okay? And so it we just go through the frequencies spectrum. Uh the next song is is uh Lyle Love It If I Had a Boat, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the that, that Pontiac record is a beautiful record, and but it you know, Lyle's vocal on that record does mm-hmm. sound pretty hockey, you know. And so that's going to tell me a lot about what's happening around 800 to 1K, 1,200, right? Uh, because the harmonics on his voice seem to be accentuated around 800. And so, as I said, every song has its own frequency uh, that that uh, or, or teaches its own lesson as, as far as balancing frequencies go. And I tend to use a graphic equalizer on... Uh, Each of the main PA clusters, you know, with Fleetwood Mac, we had, uh, main left and right. We had side left and right, and we had rear left and right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'll take the, the tablet and I'll travel the whole arena, you know, and I'll, uh, the first thing I want to do is get the main PA sounding good to me. Right. So the first part of the process is built on the main PA. And then I will uh, copy and paste over to the sides. There's uh, and then I'll start there. Now the sides being being a single columns and B being mono are going to sound different, right? Uh, my theory is that your eyes and your ears should, should agree. So people who are in front of the PA get a stereo mix. People who are sitting on the sides they get a mono mix because that's what they're looking at, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not much point in giving the people on the sides a stereo mix, and it's a reverse stereo at that. So you know, you got a guy playing a guitar solo, and it's panned right when it's, and you're looking at a guy he's on stage left. You know, uh, I mean, house left. Uh, so that uh, uh, that that's that's always been one of the things that, uh, and 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 I share this with my my friend Howard Page that your eye and your ear must agree what you're seeing on the stage should be happening in your ears and that's been pretty much the uh the standard that i hold myself to, to all the time am i transporting a listener from his seat right onto the stage with those musicians or is he hearing how, exactly how what how you're supposed to? Be
0: everybody hearing? i thought i was special <laughs> I howard I was-
3: is very special
0: Dang. No, I thought I was special. I know Howard's special. Shoot, dang, yeah that that is huge. It, does it translate what you're watching to what you're hearing? So
3: yes, good. yes. So it means it means the show is happening in front of you. It's not happening on those computer screens that are next to you that are showing you whatever they're showing you. The show is happening. You know, your attention has to be on the musicians and the stage at all times. You know, looking looking down having a conversation with somebody else during the show, looking over at your smart screens and things like that. Uh, that's not the mixer's job. The mixer's job is to, to follow the show and, and
2: and to follow the musicians. So sp- speaking of mixer's job, there, there was a, there was an older article that you had written and you had, you had referenced uh, your console as your instrument. And you say, I play the band. Um, talk about that relationship with, uh, with mixing and your approach to mixing. Um, and uh, you know, how much um how much character do you think you bring or how much are you just trying to translate how does that all how does that all marry together
3: well the uh i play the band comes from the the the, the uh lasting concept that i'm I'm still just a guitar player and singer uh waiting for my next gig <laughs> <laughs> i I happen to be a musician who mixes a little mm-hmm. so that's that's that fantasy we, we right call, there. We call
2: those failed musicians. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding.
3: Yeah, I would I, well, I would I uh, you know, it, I look at it as uh, the door finally opened when 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 I got my shot, and I I wasn't gonna let it hit me on the way out ever again. You know, so. Uh, no,
2: be sarcastic. But like, so how much do you, do you um <laughs> no, but in terms of being your instrument, like I, I find some sometimes people uh they they struggle with the balance of like how much they feel they should influence the sound versus how much they feel that they're they're a delivery service uh, and trying to be as transparent as possible and not trying to manipulate that. Is that something you've had to navigate or how how from that standpoint how do you approach it? I've approached mixing
3: shows the same way Uh, Since 1979, Uh, and what I try to do is uh, invest my energy and my uh, experience into uh, what I'm first hearing among the musicians playing together without a PA on. Uh, one of the things that I I do at rehearsals is uh, I try to spend the first two or three days not mixing. Hmm. Uh, I with 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 Paul's band I there was a place that I could sit on Gad's drum riser, where I was in the perfect relationship for him and Bikini Kamala's bass, and all the other everything else fell into place. And I would go sit in that spot for a couple three days every time we went to rehearsal, and it's really important to have that time of evaluation and you have to say, let's see, do I really want to be faithful to the record mm. and that, that, uh, or do I want to be faithful to what the guys are playing right now? And mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a decision that, that, that it's always a tough one. And I will talk it over with management. I will talk it over with the musical director or band leader like Mr. Simon or, or Mr. Taylor. and, Say how close do you want me to be to the record? If they say do it, you know, word for word, basically, I'll do it word for word. Uh, If they say uh, you know the arrangements are a little different, this is happening. Okay, then then I know I got the green light to do it uh, to 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 actually be a producer. And so it's it's situational. Different bands are are, are, have different attitudes towards uh, how much. Uh, leash they want to give their front of house engineer as a producer uh I've been really lucky that most bands uh have uh uh pretty much accepted my my contribution and actually gone out and and sought it out so uh I remember with uh Steely Dan uh, Walter came out one time in my 11 12 years with him one time Came out to listen, listened for a while, walked right back.
1: Uh, (laughs) At at the
3: time, uh, Roger Nichols was doing ear monitors for Donald and Walter on the the first couple of tours that I did. Uh, Roger never once said a word to me about how the show was being mixed, other than to give me incredible, positive feedback. So uh, I don't know, you know. Uh success uh breeds success, I guess, you know, or, and and it makes you feel a little freer and it makes you feel uh a little more creative and it and more 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 than anything you feel more energized and more involved uh if you're allowed to put some of your own personality into what's sure. going on. Uh One of the things I did with James right away when I first got the gig 16 years ago was turn the background vocals up. These guys could sing,
1: yeah, they're awesome.
3: And I, you know, I just, I just had them right up there with James all the time. And when people would hear it, they'd just say, "Oh my god, it's like you know we're listening to a gospel choir." And Mm -hmm. I mean, I. all it had, all it was necessary was take the faders and push them up a, f- a few dB. You know, uh, the, the proper way to say that is sang like in a sound, they can sang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, uh, it was
2: uh,
3: it was a, a wonderful gift to be able to mix David Leslie and Arnold McCuller and Katie Markowitz and Andrea Zon. Uh, when I first got to James Taylor, I mean, oh. My God, this is like a, a choir of angels, and so once again, uh, pick artists and make the front of house guy look good.
1: You know, yeah, that's great. All right, Kyle, let's bring us home. I'll give you one more, one more uh, oh, fanboy oh, shot. Oh, <laughs> right. well, I got oh, no. a
2: game. I a. I got a quick game we can play if, if after <laughs> Kyle's done his. So just, just, just hold on. But go ahead, Kyle.
0: I'll be. I'll be super fast, man, because you're resume is ridiculous like i would love <laughs> to half of these as tribute bands let alone the actual artist um one you have elo on there which i just got back into listening to elo when i was a kid one of my neighbors had the poster with the um the ufo grabbing the thing but it was the record player uh oh, dude i love that thing and then obviously his solo stuff is amazing but then towards the top of your list you did um, share at the Coliseum in Vegas yep. for uh, a, a stint. And I'm going to stick with my theme. And then um, my one share had to be amazing just because of the actual show itself. And and it's Vegas, so it's a show. It's not just a band playing music and her singing. So it's a show. And then the other one was a Mariah Carey Africa European Tour. I'm going to pick all your female artists out of your out of your list tonight.
3: And what can I tell you about these wonderful ladies? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, holy cow, you, he, just,
1: he wants a nugget. That's all he wants. I just, he I wants wanna, to brush with greatness.
0: Yeah, like, it, tell me about, like, obviously Cher. Holy cow, like, my mom and Cher. dad li- listened to that song over and over, and I was like, man, I hate this lady. And then, obviously, in the 80s, she, she rebuilt herself, and it was like she was a pop sensation. And then she was one of the very first – People at the Coliseum correct
3: uh she started in 2000 the end of 2008 was her first run as I remember and uh I was doing bet and share at the time so I was spending 40 40 weeks a year in Vegas uh and I did too it, but I was there it was it was <laughs> such a pleasure to to work with Cher every single day. She was just a wonderful lady. And when I was a kid in the 60s, uh, there were two women that we were all in love with in the mid sixties. And one was Michelle Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas. And the other one was Cher. And so that was, that was like working for Cher was fulfilling a long, long time fantasy.
0: Did, and, did Cher have posters like Cheryl Teagues though? Or Cheryl? <laughs> Remember those posters? Like I used to look out of the corner of my eye when I was in Spencers or whatever, and they would be like, "Oh man, look at the share poster!" Oh,
3: I. Uh, no, she was she because she, she and Sonny went on to TV, you know, and they be they were huge. They were absolutely huge. They were everybody's favorite TV show for a long time. And then she kept her show, the Cher show on for a long time after that. So she really transcended Farrah Fawcett, you know, on a poster. Yes, she uh, did. Cher, Cher, Cher became totally iconic. And then as an actress, I mean, I, I'm so in awe of that woman. She, I, It was such a privilege to work with her. And when she went back on the road after that, she, did, she didn't go back on... We finished in 2011 up there with her. And uh, she It took her three years to get back on the road. So by that time I was so booked, I couldn't do it. And it, that was incredibly disappointing to have to say no to Cher on, on that tour. I, I felt so badly.
0: She has to be the artist, artist, you know, just the way that she looks and dresses and the way her show is performed is it's an art form. It's not even, a, like I said, it's not even about the band or the music at some point. It's about the art form of going to see Cher. Um uh, and-
3: it's an experience, yes. It's an immersive experience, that's for sure, and it's uh, it's fun, and then uh, very much like a Midler show, it's fun. And people ask me, why did you stay with Bette Midler for seventeen years? Because it was the last vaudeville show on the on the road, yeah. And she it was had fun. great
0: jokes, like
3: oh god, I, I still laughed at him. Yeah, <laughs> I heard it thousands of times. I still laugh at him. You know, there'd be these you know, her off-color jokes that, that would still make me guffaw. So it, it never got old because her delivery was so classic.
0: Well, you you have a brilliant resume. Um, I would gladly let you be my mentor, but I'm just a dad and stay at home a lot now. <laughs> it's silly lockdown, but holy cow, I, I could I could go on for a while because. I think you started mixing maybe when I was eight, but the first, and I will point this out to our listeners out there. This is, this is when you know your CV is good. The first artist in 1979 that you listed on your thing is the Doobie Brothers minute by minute tour. Are you kidding me? Like <laughs> you know what my first artist, what is it? It was some local band from Springfield, Missouri that played two venues and one of them had juice and one of them had alcohol. <laughs> Holy well, cow. I
3: I still would encourage anyone starting out in the business is, is to is to mix everyone you can. Do it for free. Do it for five dollars. Do it for a hundred dollars. Mix anyone you can. Get get your chops together. That's how I learned under adverse circumstances, working oh, on there. on on crappy shit. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 your job. You know. It, it teaches it you that your job is to make it sound good no matter what you're mixing on. If it's a pair of Dixie cups, make them sound good. Yep. And it, I've, I've always really enjoyed the challenge, and hopefully I've risen to the challenge because I love this job. I wouldn't have picked a, a, any other job to do for these last 40 years other than mixing for big-time headline bands the way I do. I mean, I'm just so lucky and so privileged. And... Uh, I, I, I couldn't be more humbled by the fact that, uh, that people keep calling me to go back out and do it again, you know? And I'm sitting, I'll be 71 in June and I'm, I don't see any signs of me stopping. So Good. keep ripping. That's, awesome. That's
1: so awesome. Keep. And it's, it, it, thank you so much for your time for coming yes. to chat with us. Dave. This so has much. really been totally an awesome uh, experience. So. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime, we'll have to do want to do, well, it? I, I want to do it again. Let's do it again. You. Yeah, well, I was just say you should come back and talk to us again because I can tell Kyle, Kyle and Chris could just could just go for hours with you. So oh or, yeah, uh, and so can I, of course. So I, yeah, we'll I, I, I
3: will tell you how mixing Whitney Houston got me the gig with Paul Simon.
1: There it well, I'll is. See, there
3: you
0: oh, can. <laughs> out. Teaser
2: next episode. Chris, did you? Oh, have, they, we were gonna play it's okay i realized that actually my joke was gonna fall through after so uh, i so i'm looking at the resume here and it's like 16 pages long so i had a hard time reading all of it and so i was i was i was trying to uh play a game of one of these is not like the other um and, uh, but I think it's going to fall through. So, the one that popped out to me that one of these is not like the other is, is Shakira, given most of like the more singer songwriter vocal. But then I realized we got Cher, Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston. Yeah. So, there's still, it's, I guess there is some other pop. I, what I was looking at is like, it's kind of, a, you know, it's a pop world thing as opposed to. Some of the other stuff, and so I was just curious in terms of you know how did that maybe stand out or a different approach or what was that like in in the midst of doing a lot of more of the you know singer or songwriter uh, folk ish type stuff. Well, I would I would hope that
3: I am known as a singer's mixer, and it, for that reason, it, it I I can work with a Mariah Carey or I can work with a Paul Simon. Uh, I'm also you know a lifelong musician i started playing piano when i was 6 i started getting paid for gigs when i was 14 i used to be a pretty good guitar player at one time i can sing a little and so what bands know that they're working with a, a a real musician someone who made his living at, as being a musician that, that 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 puts you in a whole different league mm-hmm. uh and you know when i look back on my career and think about you know little conversations like Talking over set lists with uh, with James Taylor, uh, going over arrangements on uh, listening to dat playbacks with Paul Simon hour after hour, uh, being asked my opinion on arrangements with Paul Simon, uh, being, being uh, asked by Bette Midler how should I sing this song? You know which voice should I use? I mean. G- Good God, how cool is that? You know, <laughs> I mean, does it get any cooler than, than sitting with a major artist, an absolutely legendary artist and having them ask you, what's your opinion? You know, that's the, to me, that's that, that that that's what success. That's how you spell success.
2: Yeah, you know? and the only way you have a, a a career with the length of you had and the quality uh, quality of people you had is being able to have a relationship with them, and so that's it's obviously evident that that people have trusted you um through through many things, and so that's yeah, it's it's that we 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 talk a lot about that relationship uh, with. You know, with everyone, with artists, with other techs and stuff like that. But I mean, it's such an integral part of. I mean, yes, you have to be able to mix, but if you can't actually speak to these people, if you can't actually be on the same wavelength as these people, uh, you you wouldn't have lasted as long as you've lasted.
3: Yeah, it, it definitely helps in in the the people I've worked for that I can talk to them as a musician. You know, I I I can talk about keys. I can talk about. Uh, you know do we want to change the harmony on this song or do, you know it, this this one part is is rubbing a little bit uh when when as soon as a band knows that you can you can discern those little things the confidence level goes up like you wouldn't believe you know uh when they uh, th- think oh my god he could hear that well he must be hearing everything mm-hmm. so and the the other thing is 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 uh is passing the wife and friend reviews. And I've been really lucky on the wife and friend reviews as well, that, 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 uh, Mrs. Simon and, and Edie Burkell is welcome in front of my front of house. Anytime. Um, Mrs. Simon was always really supportive. Mrs. Taylor has always been incredibly supportive. Uh, and so, uh, Walter's wife, Delia was in God rest his soul. It it was incredibly supportive. Uh, it is, uh, uh, you have to be able to talk to people in, in, and you have to be able to show that you understand the language that they're speaking as well. Uh, and as I said, it's front, there's so much about mixing front of house is g- generating confidence in your artists because they're trusting you with their babies. You know, their little creative baby is, is being put in your hands to deliver to the world. And so confidence And, uh, empathy, uh, are, 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 are things that have to work both ways. And I've been so lucky that, that not only have, uh, do I have confidence in my artists, but they have confidence in me and that makes me want to do another tour, you know, (laughs) and that's how you stay on the road, on the, on the bus at, at 71 years old
2: absolutely I, I i pass i passed one relationship test uh within this podcast and that's uh, michael's <laughs> mom so michael's mom really likes my voice no, she I, likes I got, his voice I yeah. got that clearance so I'm, that's, that's how I keep my gig you know so i I'm safe right now we' will we'll, we'll see how it goes well oh, it, man
3: it's amazing important how how spouses or other family members can can be in in terms of the evaluation of of, of front of house guys uh, it, uh, or in, in, in what happens with the band, I mean, you know, Spinal Tap was no joke. That, that, that was a send up of, you know, Gilmore's wife. Uh,
0: so, <laughs>
3: you know, that, that, that was, uh, that, that's real stuff that, that happens all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky that I haven't been ever been involved in a interfamily uh, civil war, uh, that involved the front of house guy. So, uh, I've been pretty good at, uh, treating everybody equally and, uh, at and trying to keep, uh, uh, warm and friendly relationship between front of house Island and the stage, because sometimes people feel a into- little intimidated by that 120, 100, 120 foot gap, you know, uh, it's, uh, I've always tried to keep my office door wide open, uh, especially now that in, in the days that we have uh, instantaneous pro tools recording and if anybody ever has a question about an arrangement i just say come on up, let's go out to front of the house i'll put up the tanoy and we'll listen to it and you tell me what you think <laughs> and that i don't i don't do virtual sound check i i uh, i do i the bands that i work with actually do sound check uh <laughs> and <laughs> One of the most, Paul Simon being one of the most notorious sound checkers in the world. Oh, yes. The famous two and a half hour rehearsals. And so it uh, it's always better for me if a band does a live sound check. And I think it's always better for them as far as their confidence goes when they walk out of the dressing room and they hit the stage at, when, the, when the show starts. I, th- I really think it's better for, uh, Stevie doesn't sound check, but the rest of the band did. Everybody else in the band was there. Stevie has never sound checked, and so that's just kind of a given. And uh, but I mean, she has that one instrument, and uh, so it's okay. You know, nobody's going to come in and sneak over and change the gain pot or equalizers on me. uh, uh, But that that that's a whole other story. Analog boards and having people deciding that they were going to zero out your analog board before a show. Those things happened sounds
2: like uh, episode two uh
1: coming to a podcast <laughs> near you
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hope
1: we can get you back on the show soon <laughs> and, and uh, dig into more man
3: yes <laughs> nightmares from the analog world yes
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> well david thank thanks again for your time man i'm really glad we got to have you on the show and and, and chat with you and, and uh i know all our listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation and uh please come back again soon and chat with us more man